Hello! Welcome to Stump, Death and Taxes. This is Meep, which is my nickname. My other name is Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a life actuary, and this is graduation season, so I thought I'd give a little advice to the grads. And actually, this advice goes beyond graduation. Uh, This is a story of my actual failure. Last week was the Museum of Failure, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I was going to write on that sticky note. I'm going to talk about sunk costs, opportunity costs, constrained optimization, Okay, don't worry, I'm not going to really talk a lot of math. And Candace Wheeler, and it's all centered around the year 2001. So let's go back to the Museum of Failure. And as you exit the Museum of Failure, they have this big sticky note wall where you're supposed to write your failure down. My oldest child had me write down about me running into a goose. It was really the goose's failure, not mine so much. It was just an accident, and I had to get my windshield replaced. Um, But what I was going to write down was about dropping out of grad school after six years without a PhD. Oh, no, I'm ABD. That's all but dissertation. Um, So I had gone through all the coursework, I had done all the qualification exams, you know, even getting to the oral qualification so that I could work on a dissertation for the doctorate. And I did have a master's degree in, in math from NYU. But my goal, so why this is a failure was my original goal was to get a PhD in mathematics from NYU, from the Cron Institute, and to become a math professor. That's what I thought I was going to do. And in 2001, you may remember something in September, as with many people, you might think, okay, what's the connection with September 11th? Well, I think a lot of people reevaluated their life choices and other things precipitated out of this for me, but I'm not talking about those. I'm just talking about some of the personal choices where there were a lot of disruptions that fall semester. And I'm going to take a detour in a moment about one of the things that happened that fall semester in 2001. But I started reevaluating of what I was doing there. Was I actually going to finish my PhD? What was I actually going to do after, if I did finish the PhD? Uh, You know, what was I going to choose next? And so if you just graduated high school, or actually if you just graduated college or graduate school, I mean, these are choices, maybe you've made some. The question is, how do you make these decisions? So I'm not talking about the decision that you make, but how do you make the decision? And one of the things a lot of people do is look at the path that got them there in making the decision going forward. And this can be a big mistake. And this is what is called sunk costs. When you're trying to make a decision about things going forward, of the paths going forward, usually the path that got you there and all of the time and effort that got you there, I'm sorry, is irrelevant. 
And that's the problem. So you heard me, it's like six years, all those years and all that work wasted, blah, 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 blah. And this is a psychological problem with people in terms of decision-making because from a rational perspective, you know, where you're going next or what's the best choice going forward, frankly, it doesn't matter how much you put into it. It may feel like a waste. It may feel like a failure and, you know, it sucks and it did, you know, it did feel bad. And I'm going to tell you what I did after in a moment. But, you know, I was thinking a lot about this during fall 2001. So one of the things I did during fall 2001 was go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now, I've been an off and on member. I'm currently a member of the Met. It's my favorite museum. It's huge and it's got great exhibits. And they had a special exhibit during the fall of 2001 on Candace Wheeler. Now, they have pieces of her work in the American wing. She was of the Gilded Age, if you're familiar with that, um, in, you know, in the Northeast. She was, I believe, from New York State, uh, Delhi, New York, if I remember correctly. Uh, that's not ne neither here nor there. But I'm going, I wrote a piece for The Stepping Stone. So I'm going to read from that. In November 2001, I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art looking for peace and beauty. I was well rewarded by a special exhibit on Candace Wheeler. I have found inspiration in her designs as well as her life story. Candace Wheeler started her career as a professional decorator and designer when she was nearly 50 years old. She was partnered with Louis Comfort Tiffany, helping invent the idea of professional interior decorators. Wheeler designed and made gorgeous silk draperies and door hangings, but she quit the company because they were restricted to a very rich clientele and she wanted to bring beauty to the masses. She founded a women's decorative arts collective in 1877, the Society of Decorative Artists, to promote the designs of American women and to make available the beautiful home to the average middle-class homemaker. In addition, she founded the New York Exchange for Women's Work in 1878, which was the Etsy of its day. She was trying to help women as both consumers and producers. A huge issue was the poor economic outlook for widows of Union soldiers from the U.S. Civil War and widows in general. It was difficult for women to earn money at that time, and while some got by on widows' pensions, the 1870s were particularly tough. In 1873, a worldwide financial crisis hit, which led to a depression that lasted until 1879. The need for rewarding work for women in both an economic and artistic sense was deep. While Wheeler was helping create work for others, she made her own in designing and producing textiles and wallpaper. Wheeler came up with interesting weaving techniques to make shimmering illusions on the cheap. A woman might not be able to afford silk hangings for her home, but she could afford a cloth cross-woven with black and red thread, which produced silk-like optical effects. 
Wheeler made patterns that were seemingly varied and organic, though of course they repeated in a very predictable way. Later on, Wheeler wrote books such as Household Art in 1893 and Principles of Home Decoration with Practical Examples, 1903, teaching design principles women could apply in their own homes and showing how it could even be done on the cheap. Wheeler was a creator, a business builder, a network weaver, someone who spread beauty and knowledge that gave others the ability to create for themselves. I see her inspiration as a person whose influence was felt on multiple levels in different roles. One can lead by creating art and then showing others how to create for themselves. I always think of her when I am writing about beautiful spreadsheets. A final note, Wheeler actively worked until the age of 80, but she was still producing books after that with her final one, The Development of Embroidery in America, 1921, published two years before she died at the age of 96. Now that is an inspiration. Now that was the whole article and I could have written more, but this was for a contest that was word limited or length limited. So I really got to the nut. I did not get into the details of why she started this work. One of her daughters had died at a young age, I believe from kidney disease. And she was very close to another daughter. Um, actually, it was a very distinguished family in general from you know her husband and her children. And I believe one of her grandsons was in uh, FDR's cabinet if I remember correctly, Henry Stimson, in any case. Uh, so moving on from that, but I love Candace Wheeler's designs. I went to the Mark Twain house in Hartford one day, and I recognized the wallpaper in the guest room as one of her designs. And like, I had to stop the, the guide who was taking us around the house and say, wait a second, is that by Candace Wheeler? Of course, during the Gilded Age, all these people knew each other. And this was, I believe, when Candace Wheeler was working with Lewis Comfort Tiffany. And yes, that name should sound familiar. That's all the Tiffany glass with the stained glass window shades and all of that jazz. So um, she had a real, I shouldn't say unique design. I mean, it is unique, but it was... Um, a marked design, very American in that she used American plants and animals and developed a certain kind of, I shouldn't say arts and crafts. I don't know all of the art history, arts and crafts history, but I always looked at, liked looking at her stuff at the Met before the special exhibit. And I do have the exhibit book that came out of this. So you're like, okay, what has this got to do with designing? Um, I'm sorry, not designing, but deciding what to do uh, with your life, uh, you know, trying to decide whether to drop out of grad school or that kind of thing. Well, she made this major change in her life at age 50. And then she made another very large change. She was extremely successful with uh, Lewis Comfort Tiffany, by the way. Uh, they loved her designs. Did something, went mass market. You know, she sold out. But she decided she had an entirely different goal of what she wanted to do. And I sat there looking at the dissertation I was working on. And I don't need to get into it. I was modeling neurons and I was running into some very 
serious problems with the numerical integration algorithm I had. Uh, it was producing negative probabilities and no, I did not develop any, you know, exciting new mathematics. It was just wrong. Um, and I was just stuck, but I was looking at it and thinking, okay, let's just pretend I got unstuck. And I was looking at the social dynamics and the demographics of academic mathematics at the time. And I was thinking, you know, it's very depressing to think that one has to wait for somebody to die for a position to open up because that was the dynamics going on at the time. Okay, for tenure track positions, uh, adjuncting in a lot of part-time positions was the name of the game. The boomers were firmly ensconced and they were not that old. And I knew about mortality then. The other aspect, even without that issue, I noticed how people had their own models of neurons. And again, I don't want to get into the details of all these different neuron models. I was developing a different neuron model, but I realized everybody had their own neuron models and nobody really liked looking at each other's models. Everyone played with their own. I was thinking, okay, let's just say I developed and published this research. Who the hell would read this or be influenced by it? Uh, okay. So what do I really want to do? I, if I'm going to research something, I want to research something that is going to have an effect. And how do you know that people really care about the research you're doing? Oh, they're going to pay you a lot of money for it. Oh, maybe go into business, finance. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking maybe this is not where I need to be. And what are my real goals? It's not even really the research or teaching. Uh, though I've been able to do it outside of academia. It's that I wanted to have a certain lifestyle. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to live in New York. I'm sorry, I like New York. I love New York and I love New York City and I love going to the Met. Being in academia was not going to give that to me. So I left after the spring semester of 2002 and I just ghosted them. <laughs> I quit uh, and I didn't tell anybody except the departmental secretary because I figured she would tell everybody else after I left. After I submitted the grades, I just didn't, I just cleared out my office and turned in the keys and didn't show up in the fall, in the summer or anything. I was, I found some temporary teaching jobs and I just started hustle, hustle, hustle. And it took me a while to get my first actuarial job. It wasn't until 2003. I was working part-time adjunct teaching math jobs at junior colleges in New York City until I could get that first actuarial job. It took a while. The sunk cost was that I had to forget about all of the time I spent pursuing the PhD in making the decision going forward. The opportunity costs well, now this is where I'm getting for high school grads and everybody else. Opportunity cost is that uh, when you make one choice, you can say, well, it didn't cost me money. In my case, for graduate school, I wasn't paying to go there. I had grants and fellowships and stuff like that. Um, so I did not have to pay tuition and I got some minimal amount of money being paid 
I had fellowships and then I had to adjunct and I got paid uh, to teach. I didn't get paid very much when I uh, started my first actuarial job. I believe the base salary was three times what I was getting paid as an adjunct. So that gives you a comparison. Um, but the opportunity cost was that I had other choices I could have made other than going to graduate school in 1996 when I graduated college. I could have gone in the dot-com boom with the rest of my friends, which a lot of them did and were trying to entice me to go into. So that was money foregone, time not spent developing skills. There were opportunity costs. Uh, and the great thing is if you're young in high school, you know, graduating high school or in college, your opportunity cost for almost everything is actually pretty low and try things that you're going to have to forego some choices in order to pursue other paths. It's don't worry about it. You do have to choose some things to commit to try to develop. Those six years in graduate school were not a loss. I developed a lot of skills. I know a lot of math that I've been able to deploy in other you know, situations throughout my actuarial career because I have a lot of more math knowledge and skills and numerical programming skills. So, and I know numerical programming in multiple languages. So I know <laughs> I started out in basic in Pascal and then I got C and Lisp and APL2 and Fortran, C++ and Perl and Python and R and MATLAB and Mathematica. And there's probably some others I'm forgetting. So I know a lot of different languages and I, oh yeah, Java and JavaScript, of course. Um, but there's a lot of other ones that I've probably picked up and put down. It's easy for me to learn computer languages to do numerical things. Oh, and all the Excel stuff, of course I do. That's coding too, you know. Um, so I developed a whole bunch of skills. I did learn some of the numerical algorithms that can be used for all sorts of things. The issue is that we have constraints on our time, on our effort, and you have got to choose. And choosing one thing means that you didn't choose another path. Your opportunity costs become higher as you get older, but when you're young, it's not, it's not so bad a thing. There's only a few careers that you have to commit early on that it's difficult to enter at older ages. Things such as being a medical doctor, but for like being an actuary, for example, that can be any age. Um, and then, I mean, getting a specialized degree, I talked with the actuarial science students at the University of Connecticut. A lot of them are not going to be actuaries. That's okay because they learned a bunch of skills as well. You might be thinking, well, that's very specific. However, they have a lot of mathematical skills as well, and they're learning a lot of data analytics that can be transferred to other fields. I mean, obviously other fields in finance, which is huge, you can go into banking, you can go into investments, you can go into a lot of things from actuarial science. Um, so if you were in college, you're not, 
you know, you're having trouble in the major you're in, it's okay to consider that you may need to switch to an adjacent major uh, to finish and get the degree. And that's for undergraduate. For graduate school, you may need to consider it's not worthwhile to finish the degree, whether it's a doctorate or master's or whatever. And yes, maybe you wasted money, unlike me, where I just wasted time, but time is money of a sort. And that's the opportunity cost. So I wasn't getting in the dot-com boom with my friends, but some of my friends at the end of the dot-com boom, <laughs> their employee options were underwater and valueless. So they, what they had developed through the dot-com boom though, they may not have come out of it with money, but they came out of it with connections to other people. They came out of it with the experience of what it was like to go through a big rapid boom and then a bust. So they've seen what that's like. And it's ex important to have an experience like that. Um, when people have asked me, you know, would you go back and not have done those six years in, in graduate school? I, I tell them, you know, those, the first four years, so the first two years got me to the master's degree. The next two years that was still taking classes and I was still developing more math skills. So I was still gaining skills and knowledge, but the last two years were important, even though I was working on a dissertation that ultimately got stuck. And I'll tell you what I did when I left, when I left in 2002, May 2002, I took all the papers of what, all the printouts, cause it was code, I was doing stuff in MATLAB. And um, I also had papers where I had notes down in the LaTeX of the dissertation that I was working on and this, that, and the other. I deleted all the files and I recycled all the paper. I totally destroyed everything that I had worked on for that dissertation so that I could not go back. Sometimes you should burn a bridge as it were so that you do not get tempted to go back because that sunk cost is a big psychological hurdle. It was not going to be worth my time to go back to that. I had already made the decision and I made it final. I have never regretted doing that. <laughs> it was such a relief to get rid of that thing. And I've moved forward. And since then, you know, I've developed a totally new career. And I actually have contributed to academia by working at TIAA for the first five years of my actuarial career. And the projects I worked on there probably helped strengthen academics retirement funds. So, you know, there you go. That's how I contributed to academia. It's a matter of perspective. Um, you know, don't be afraid of trying different things and having to walk away from them. Uh, it does look like a failure and feel like a failure when you're doing it. But I'll tell you, having made that decision and walking away from something that were, were huge sunk costs in my mind at the time have made it really easy to make similar decisions later because a lot of people get stuck because they feel they have put so much time and effort into something that they can't walk away. That can be true for certain things where it makes sense that going forward that the sunk costs are 
relevant, but for a lot of things, like if you really need to make a change in something, that there is no future in, say, a particular company that you're in, that you really need to escape and go somewhere else, that you've been there 20 years or something is not relevant, perhaps. It may be relevant if you're about to get a little bump up on a retirement. This is why they're called golden handcuffs. But, you know, you have to think of, are those costs in the past, are those investments in the past actually relevant? And you're like, this is pretty heavy, you know, for a high school grad. <laughs> Yes, it is. Um, and this is going to constrained optimization. You're trying to make a decision and, okay, look, it doesn't need to be optimal. You don't know the future. There's a lot of uncertainties, but the constrained part is the important part. You're constrained on the amount of time you have to work with. I could get really heavy and go all memento mori. Remember, you're going to die. That's always there. But of course, I just read you a passage about Candace Wheeler. She died at age 96, and that was, you know, she lived over 100 years ago, okay? She got started in her career at age 50. I'm not starting age 50 until next year. That's an inspiration. I could be starting my next career next year if I'm going to follow my, and emulate Candace Wheeler here. So I find her an inspiration. So this is why I'm saying this is not just for graduates. So I want you to have some perspective. You go into to college and you think, oh, it's all over. I'm ruined, blah, blah. Well, this is someone when this was very difficult, reinvented herself a few times. Yeah, she did come from a background of privilege. I'm not going to disagree there. But it's not, it still wasn't easy for her to do what she did at the time and walk away from a very productive company, very, you know, remunerative company, and then start a mass market production of all of these prints and cloth. And then what she tried to build this is something to think about. And when you think about business people today, multiple serial entrepreneurs today, that they do a startup and then they have to, at some point, they walk away from the company they started. That's what a lot of them do. In this case, she walked away from a partnership she had because she decided she wanted to do something else. It's good to think about what your goals really are. What are you trying to accomplish in whether you're going to college or you're starting a job or, you know, you're pursuing something. Be very cognizant that you can control only so much. Be very deliberate on this is what you're pursuing and why. So yeah, I'm being heavy, but it's going to be summer and you're, it's the best time to be heavy is when it's bright and sunshiny and you can consider these. And in my case, I did it surrounded by beauty at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Hey, I think that's a great way to make decisions is go somewhere where it's beautiful, surrounded by beautiful music or whatever. 
don't do it when when it's really really heavy on you um it really helped i'll tell you that much so that's been stump death and taxes i'll be talking with y'all another time Bye bye <laughs>